This morning's passage might sound familiar. We're going in Daniel 7 again, 1 through 28. So this will be part B. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, the second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered these the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying 
with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with his feet. And about the ten horns that were on his head, and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. And all dominion shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Yeah, my thoughts greatly alarmed me too, and my color is changing. You know, serialized television seems to have gained a new popularity. I don't know if you've noticed, but television, the serialized show, is one where there's a continuing plot that unfolds episode by episode, and the episode usually begins with a recap, you know, previously on The Rings of Power or previously on Star Wars Andor, which are clearly shows that I'm watching right now. In our study in Daniel 7, it seems like it's become a serialized uh, study here in Daniel chapter 7. So previously in Daniel chapter 7... I had Kevin read the entire thing for us because the, the visions are so fantastical and so there, there's so many moving parts. I want us to have it fresh in our mind as we look at this vision again. Last week, previously in Daniel 7, we, we talked about understanding the vision of Daniel 7, but also all of the rest of the visions that are going to come in the second half of this book. And we considered a couple of principles. The first one, not every tree in the forest is a climbing tree. And it makes me laugh just how many people have quoted that back to me this week. Uh, again, I guess that really stuck with people. Just as not every tree in a forest can bear the weight of you climbing on it, stressing its branches to try to climb up to see further or find hidden things in the tree, not every image or symbol that we find in these visions is for us to climb on. Not every one of them can bear the weight. There's not a hidden meaning or or it's not good for us to try to stand and see further. Not every tree in the forest is a climbing tree. Not every symbol and vision that we find in here will bear the weight of us climbing on it and by which will we be able to see further. The, the only one images that we can be dogmatic about when we come to a symbolic vision like this or in the second half of Daniel are, are the ones that are interpreted for us. 
We hear in the second half of this vision that someone actually gives Daniel some interpretation. That's what we stand on. We stand on that which is interpreted for us or by the context it's clear what's happening. Because we noted that this vision and the whole second half of Daniel is what's called apocalyptic literature. And the currency of apocalyptic literature is image more than word. Images. And so we need to be cautious not to confuse the images, the symbols, for the reality that they represent. For example, Kevin read for us, the Ancient of Days, God, is pictured to have white hair. Now, does that mean that God is actually an old man with white hair? Don't confuse the symbol for the reality. And in the same way, when we're interpreting these visions, we don't want to confuse the symbol for the reality. Not every tree is a climbing tree. And secondly, with our forest analogy, is we don't want to miss the forest for the trees. God's intention in this vision wasn't to name and identify each and every tree in the forest. His intention in giving Daniel and the exiles and us today this vision is to awe us with a grand vision of the forest. As, as we said, this is apocalyptic literature. And apocalypse, apocalypse comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means to reveal. So these visions are revealing to us. They're pulling aside the curtain of history and saying, do you want to know what's really going on behind what you see? In history, there are forces at work that you can't observe behind human history and the rising and falling of kingdoms. Let me show you. And that's what we find in Daniel 7 and all of these other visions. And we remember that this vision first came to Daniel and to the exiles in Babylon. They were oppressed in Babylon. What the original hearers most needed was to not have their curiosity satiated by identifying every individual tree in the forest with names and dates of governments and leaders, which many of them would never live to see. The, the intention was that the original hearers of Daniel's vision, what they needed was encouragement. They needed encouragement that God was sovereign over all of the kingdoms and nations of the earth. That as they rose and as they fell, God was sovereign and one day every single oppressive kingdom of man would fall. But God would remain supreme. So in these visions, the Lord's pulling aside the curtain of history to reveal the truth of what's going on. And we see this spiritual battle being waged and we hear that the Ancient of Days will ultimately be victorious. And, and we see in this vision, ultimately, four hideous beasts coming up out of the sea. And as we talked about last week, the reality behind those symbols is given to us in Daniel 7, verses 17 and 18. It says, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. And like we talked about last week, this vision in Daniel 7 is, is analogous. We have some parallels to the vision in Daniel chapter 2, where we find four human kingdoms represented by a great statue made of four different metals. Until at the end of that vision, a giant stone, not cut by any human hand, comes crashing down on the statue and destroys it. And then that stone grows up to become a mountain that fills the whole earth. 
So both these visions of Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 are explained to us to be about human kingdoms, and both of them end with all the kingdoms of man being crushed and destroyed, and then a kingdom coming and rising up and growing to cover and fill the whole earth, a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And as we discussed last week, human kingdoms, kings and kingdoms might are pictured here as hideous beasts, because when the curtain is pulled aside on human history, Friends, there are hideous and evil forces at work animating so much of what we see happening before us. The Apostle Paul wrote for us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Daniel's vision is pulling aside the curtain and saying, behind the machinations of all these human governments and the evil and the oppression that's being done, there are dark forces because there is a spiritual battle that's being fought between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of man. And as we talked about last week, considering the parallel of this vision in chapter 7 with the vision in chapter 2, the traditional interpretation of these four kingdoms are that the winged lion was symbolic of Babylon, the lopsided bear of Medo-Persia, the winged leopard of Greece as ruled by Alexander the Great, and the fourth beast being Rome, vast, terrible, a greater power and greater in longevity than any of the other kingdoms. Now, when we look back to chapter 2, Daniel interpreted that vision for King Nebuchadnezzar, and he made abundantly clear, he said, the gold head in the vision, the first kingdom, is your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar. It's the kingdom of Babylon. So considering the parallels, we stand on pretty good ground to say that the first beast that we meet in Daniel's vision in chapter 7, the lion, most likely represented Babylon. But even if four specific human kingdoms are being referred to in this vision, it's also very clear, isn't it, that something greater is going on here. There's something even greater that transcends temporal human kingdoms. Now, now Daniel did receive his vision when, during the reign of Belshazzar of Babylon, and so the vision does start in known human history in Babylon, the, the gold head, the, the lion, but as it gets further and further out, do you notice that it seems to get less clear and really more fantastical? To the point that this fourth beast, the fourth beast is so incredible, Daniel sees it, but he can't even compare it to any known earthly creature. Remember, he's seeing images, so he's trying to put words to the images that he's seeing. And these things are so unbelievable and indescribable, he's trying to describe the indescribable. He goes, this fourth beast, I've never seen anything like it. He can't even relate it to a, a creature, to an a, a earthly creature. And, and friends, for as much as the three first beasts that rise, as much as they're horrible and they're terrible, do you notice how they're really just kind of bit players in this drama? They show up in the scene, they disappear from the scene. The real conflict, the real issue is with this fourth beast, who is said to be different. Did you notice that three times in the reading, in verses 7, 19, and 23, the fourth beast is declared to be different from all the rest? It's different. There's something different about this fourth beast. And unlike the other kingdoms, three times again in verses 7, 19, and 23, we hear the agenda 
of the fourth beast, whatever this fourth beast is. And its agenda is absolute and just wanton destruction. Uh, Again, verse 3 gives us the interpretation. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. Devour, break in pieces, stamp down with its feet. This fourth kingdom is clearly different from the first three kingdoms, and its only agenda seems to be absolute destruction. Now, friends, while maybe Rome or Greece might partially be in mind here, clearly whatever this beast is, it is greater and it is more destructive than Rome or Greece ever were. The main conflict of this vision is not between the kingdom of God and the four kingdoms. The the first three kingdoms are bit players. They're background noise and they pass quickly. The main conflict is between the kingdom of God and this fourth beast with its ten horns and its one little horn. Now, what's going on with the horns? Now, horns are a common symbol in the Bible and in that culture of power or strength. For example, the psalmist celebrates the Lord's justice when he brings justice against all the nations in Psalm 75, verse 10. He writes, All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Now, we don't confuse symbol with reality. The psalmist is not speaking about cutting off literal horns. He's talking about judging and cutting off the power and the kingdoms of this world. And so the ten horns of the fourth beast, they're identified in verse 24 as ten kingdoms that shall arise out of this fourth beast. And while many, many, many attempts have been made to identify exactly who these ten kingdoms are, all of the attempts have gaps and problems because so much is unclear in this image because not every tree is a climbing tree. If the image of the ten horns is meant to tell us about ten literal coming kings, then the vision fails to make clear to us, are these subsequent kingdoms, one that follow after another? Are these ten kings who rule simultaneously, each one with their own territory? Is the ten literal kingdoms, is this, are we meant to identify them? Is this a tree we're meant to climb? Because apocalyptic literature is full of symbolic imagery and especially numbers as symbols, as we're going to see a couple of times in this vision. The number ten could be given to us as a literal number of kingdoms that will rise, or it could be used, as is often used in apocalyptic literature, as a symbol of completeness, fullness, totality. The ten horns being a symbol revealing the complete and total evil of of power at work behind the curtain. The power that animates all the kingdoms of this world is behind all the kings that have and are yet to come. The reality behind the symbol of the ten horns is not entirely clear to us. Now, church, to help us better identify the other symbols, we should consider again this main conflict. It seems to not be with these first three beasts, but this fourth beast. And as we read through the narrative that seems to unfold before us, it can be hard to understand if we look at it chronologically. If you take this as a chronological point A to point B vision, you're going to be confused because I believe that what we find in this vision is that things are reported, repeated, and reviewed. 
They're reported, repeated, and reviewed. Like when you tell a story, you give the overall report, maybe a summary or the short version. Then you go back and you repeat the story, filling in some more details. And then you go back and you review the story with the listener to explain what might have been missed or might not, what might not yet be understood. And that's what I think is happening in Daniel chapter 7. You know, so as we approach this vision of seven, if you think of it as a chronological sequence, I think you quickly become confused and misunderstand and misinterpret the unfolding of these events. So as we look at Daniel 7, for example, we've already seen reported, repeated, reviewed in this fourth beast. Three times declared to be different. Three times its agenda as outer destruction is repeated. Not three beasts, not three times of destruction, but the same beast reported, repeated, reviewed. And if we consider this vision like that, and we look for things that have already been given to us and then are repeated, we can kind of start to see the main players and the main events in this drama. First, we're told that there are ten horns on the fourth beast. One little horn arises, uprooting three of the others. That's reported, repeated, reviewed in verses 7 through 8, then again in verses 19 through 20, and then in verse 24. Four times the small horn that rises is described as speaking great things against the Most High. We see that in verse 8, verse 11, verse 20, and then verse 25. Reported, repeated, reviewed. It's making clear to us the character of this little horn that rose. And we see repeated reports of the little horn making war on the people of the Most High. Verse 21 As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. And then just a little bit later in verse 25, He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. They shall think to change the times and the law, and they, meaning the saints of the Most High, shall be given into His hand for a time, times, and half a time. Then we see time of judgment come. Three times. Verse 10, the court sits in judgment. Verse 22, it says judgment's given for the saints of the Most High. Verse 26, the court sits in judgment and the dominion of the beast is taken away. These aren't three separate judgments. It's the same event reported, repeated, reviewed. And we find a repeated report of this beast eventually being judged and destroyed. Look at verse 11. I looked then because of the sound of the great words the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. But it seems to happen again in verse 26. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And then at least three times. In verses 18, 22, and 27, we're told the saints of the Most High are given the kingdom. The final statement is verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. All dominions shall serve and obey Him. So we start to see some of the main players and some of the main events in this drama as it's reported, repeated, and reviewed for us. But at the center, friends, the protagonist. Who's the hero? The main actor in this story. Three times in this vision, we see the Ancient of Days acting. 
Last week, we considered the throne room scene of verses 9 and 10, where the Ancient of Days is seated in throne, on his throne in power and in judgment. In verse 22, we read, The Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. But between these two visions of the Ancient of Days and judgment comes another vision with the Ancient of Days in it. And a new character is introduced. A new hero comes in the story. And this is the center of the vision. And this is the center of the drama. And this is the center of what's being revealed to us in verses 13 and 14. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. To him was given dominion. And glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. A new figure enters into the stage. A new hero enters into the story. One like a son of man approaches the ancient of days and is presented before him. And he is given everlasting dominion and a kingdom which shall not be destroyed. So who is this one, like a son of man? Now, the phrase son of man was commonly used throughout the scripture to mean human beings. Uh, Psalm 8.4, David asks, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? In the very next chapter of Daniel, we're going to hear that one of the heavenly beings is going to address Daniel in chapter 8, verse 17, and call him and say, O son of man. So, In such usage, son of man clearly means a human being. However, who is this son of man? The one that's like the son of man. Because he approaches the ancient of days and he's far more than a mere mortal man. Because he's riding on the clouds like a chariot, it says. Friends, that's a divine privilege. God alone rides on the clouds as a chariot. Psalm 104, verse 3 God makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. So, so the one like a son of man, he rides the clouds and is presented before the ancient of days. And what does it say this son of man receives? He receives something that no mere mortal man could receive because no mere human being could receive an everlasting dominion or a kingdom that will not pass away because we pass away. So this is no mere human being who comes and is brought before the Son of Man and who is given a dominion. Who is this, the one like a Son of Man? About 600 years after Daniel's vision came one named Jesus of Nazareth. And we know that the Son of Man was Jesus' favorite self-designation. He used it for himself over 80 times in the Gospels. No one else ever called him the Son of Man. But he called himself the Son of Man repeatedly. And while Son of Man was vague enough that his enemies and others might have simply written it off as him referring to himself as a human being, Jesus regularly used the title Son of Man to refer his hearers to the messianic figure that we find here in Daniel chapter 7. And explicitly, at Jesus' trial before the high priest, we hear this exchange in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 63. But Jesus remained silent, 
And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. Friends, the high priest recognized what Jesus was claiming. He said that's blasphemy because he knew that Jesus was declaring himself to be the Son of Man revealed in Daniel 7. The one who would receive an eternal kingdom. The one who had the authority to ride on the clouds. The one who would sit at the right hand of God himself. Friends, Jesus is the Son of Man that we see pictured in Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. So what do we see happening here? We witness of this vision. We see the Ancient of Days sitting in judgment in verses 9 and 10. We see the fourth beast slain in verse 11. And then we see Jesus approaching and being presented before the Ancient of Days, before God the Father in verse 13. And Jesus receives an eternal kingdom in verse 14. So what are we witnessing? What event in Jesus' life are we witnessing here? Now, friends, many would argue that this is a vision of the second coming of Jesus. The coming of Jesus on the clouds at the end of time. But I believe that we need to take note of the direction of Jesus' movement in this vision. In verse 13, he's clearly not coming from heaven back to earth, as he will at the second coming. In verse 13, it unquestionably pictures the Son of Man coming to the heavenly throne room, and being presented before the ancients of days. Church, 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended to heaven, and Acts 1.11 records the angels saying to Jesus' followers who saw him go, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up to you into the clouds, into heaven, will come the same way you saw him go into heaven. So yes, one day Jesus will return to earth on the clouds of heaven. However, the vision of Daniel 7 is clearly Jesus ascending to heaven in the clouds of heaven. He's presented before the throne of the Father, the Ancient of Days. Friends, in Jesus' death and resurrection, the Ancient of Days was declaring judgment upon the evil in the kingdoms of this world. The beast was slain and the power of sin and evil conquered. Then Jesus ascended to God the Father and was seated at His right hand and was given a dominion and a kingdom that will never end. Friends, this is what Paul celebrates in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 20. He celebrates that God raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church. And friends, in the Old Testament, the psalm, the Old Testament psalm that we find quoted the most often in the New Testament is Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is quoted at least 27 times in the New Testament, so it must be important. And almost always is quoting verse 1 of Psalm 110, which says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies 
your footstool. Because, friends, the Ancient of Days says to the Son of Man, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. I will give you dominion and put under you all the other kingdoms and peoples and nations. So, church, Jesus died, Jesus rose victorious, and Jesus Christ descended and is right now seated at the right hand of God the Father, the Ancient of Days. And He has received from the Ancient of Days an eternal dominion, a kingdom that will never end. And Christ is right now ruling and will one day, when all of His enemies are under His feet and all powers are put completely beneath Him at the end of time, He will return. Just as we saw in our study of 1 Corinthians, that we completed earlier this year. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 25, it declares, For He, Jesus, must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then Paul quotes for us Psalm 110. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. And church, Did you hear the good news that's also contained in this vision? Three times in the vision, in verses 18, 22, and 27, we saw that the same kingdom that's given to the Son of Man is the kingdom that's given to the saints of the Most High. We who are in Christ, we share now in Christ's kingdom and His reign. The Apostle Paul celebrated in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. He said, God raised us up with Jesus and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we who are in Christ are seated with Him in the heavenly places as He reigns at the right hand of God the Father. We share in Christ's kingdom. We participate in His current reign. And so having identified the hero and the conflict of Daniel 7, we should ask, with whom is the conflict? How are we supposed to identify this fourth beast with all of its horns and the little horn that grows up? And to answer that, we do have to consider one more vision before we conclude this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Revelation 13, because the fourth beast of Daniel 7 seems to reappear there in Revelation 13. It will be on the screen, too. Revelation 13, starting in verse 1, it says, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. And its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Does animals sound familiar to anyone? And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming the name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. So we find that just like in Daniel 7, a beast rises out of the sea, and you notice it's a composite of all of Daniel's beasts. We find parts of the third beast, the leopard, the second beast, the bear, and the first beast, the lion, all mashed together into this one beast. Plus we find the ten horns of Daniel's beast, 
we find the great and blasphemous words like the fourth beast, and it makes war on the saints of God like the fourth beast did. However, notice the significant difference. This one's got seven heads. Seven heads. Now, again, numbers are very symbolic in apocalyptic literature. Seven is very symbolic in apocalyptic literature because in seven days, God created the making the heavens and earth. He completed His creation in seven days and then He rested. So seven has always been seen biblically as a number of completion, a number of fullness. And multiple heads on one same beast likely represents multiple manifestations of the same thing. So what do we find here? This horrible beast has had and will have many manifestations throughout history. Friends, this hybrid beast brings together all the four beasts of Daniel, which we know somehow represent the evil at work behind human kingdoms. And it points us to the truth that human kingdoms and rulers that blaspheme God and persecute the saints have risen, they rise now, and they will rise, but all of them are just manifestations of the same horrible beast. So whatever name, the name is of the human king or the human kingdom, whether it's Babylon or Babel or Egypt or Antiochus Epiphanes or Rome or Nero, these are all the same beasts who rise and eventually fall. And once one head's cut off, another head grows up, only to have another manifestation of the same beast known by another name, it rises again. All of this has happened before. All of this will happen again. This is the cosmic battle between the kingdom of God and the powers at work behind the governments of man. Until one day a final kingdom will rise. One day a final little horn will do battle with other human kingdoms and uproot them. A final antichrist will do battle with the Lord, uttering great and blasphemous things. A final man of lawlessness will do battle with the saints of the Lord, persecuting and oppressing them. However, just as the power of evil and the beast was ultimately broken at the cross, so will the beast and the horn and all of its manifestations be utterly defeated and destroyed with Christ's second coming. And never will the beast rise again, because Christ reigns now and will reign until every enemy, till every ugly face of the beast has been put underneath his dominion. And church, the suffering, persecuted, exiled saints in Babylon, in Rome, in communist China, in Islamic Iran, in the Taliban-controlled Afghanistan, in post-Christian United States, the suffering saints, there is given good news in our suffering, in these visions. You will suffer in this life and in this world. You will suffer at the power of unjust and ungodly kingdoms and governments, but your suffering will not be forever because evil will soon be definitively and completely cut off. Revelation 12.5, you might have noticed it said the beast was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. And Daniel had that weird phrase where it said the saints shall be given into his hand for time, times, and half a time. Joshua looked at that and said that looks like some kind of wacky math equation. And he's right. He's right. It is. If time means a year, one year is 12 months, two years is 24 months, and half a year is six months. Time times half a time. 12 plus 24 plus 6 equals 42. So the 42 months of Revelation 12 is the time times half a time of Daniel 7, 25. And I know some people feel very strongly otherwise, but I fail to see this as a literal amount of time, but a symbolic number. Because if I stand before you today and I go, one, two, 
What do you expect? Three. You expect three. So it would be startling if I go, one, two, half. Why? Because you expect the sequence, and the sequence is utterly interrupted and suddenly cut off. And in the same way, we have Daniel going, time, time, half a time. The sequence is suddenly and unexpectedly interrupted. It's broken. It's a clear message to the suffering, persecuted saints of God in whatever time they live in. For a time, the power of oppression, the power of the beast seems to be getting greater and greater and greater. And then suddenly, just when you think it's going to increase again, it will be cut off in the end. And thus, the good news to the exiles in Babylon, the good news to those oppressed by evil governments and evil forces in every generation, is that your suffering will not be forever. For even as evil seems to increase, one time soon, it will be decisively and completely cut off. The evil behind every power of the world was defeated at the cross of Christ. And the beast and evil is being defeated by Christ's current reign in heaven. And the beast and the evil behind human government will be defeated ultimately and completely at Christ's final return. Because the Son of Man currently reigns at the right hand of God the Father and he has put, until he has, put all of his enemies under, he has put all of his enemies under his feet. Until every head of the beast has shown its ugly face and then been cut off by Christ. Until every last Antichrist has risen and been slain. Until Christ alone stands victorious. Christ will reign. And the images that Daniel saw in chapter 7 strained the bounds of human language. I mean, he's desperately trying to put words to that for which there is no words. And that's why this is so fantastical and so hard to comprehend. But what is clear is maybe not every tree, but the grand scope of the forest that we see before us. The message is clear. And friends, the message is that Jesus wins. We may disagree on the details, but we can agree that we who are in Christ share in Christ's victory and in His kingdom now and forevermore. We can take hope that though right now our suffering may be, it is for but a time. Because the beast and its horns and the little horn, the governments, the powers of the world, the forces of evil that animate them will one day be decisively and completely cut off, judged by the ancient of days, slain by Christ, and the dominion and kingdom of Christ will stand eternally, as will all the saints who have trusted Christ and received the kingdom with Him. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news, and it should give hope. It should give hope to the exiles struggling in Babylon in Daniel's day, and it should give hope to those who struggle today and in every generation with the evil and oppression of governments and forces of evil in this world. The good news to exiles is that evil's power is limited and its time is limited, but the Son of Man is victorious and eternal. And so, friends, the question is, do you know and have you trusted this Son of Man? Do you and will you share in His kingdom and in His eternal reign? Do you know that no matter what evil and opposition and oppression you face today, do you know the hope of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man who has and who will come again? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You that evil has an expiration date. Thank You, Father, that our suffering 
has an expiration date. You're going to return and cut it off suddenly and decisively. Though we suffer now for a time, we know that Christ, He rules supreme. And one day, all enemies will be placed under His feet. One day, the beast will be finally and completely and eternally slain. And one day, Christ will return in power. And His kingdom will reign. His kingdom does reign and will reign. That day. And until that day, give us faith to endure. Hope to hold on and to remain faithful. And may we bear witness to others of the hope that has come to us. In Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.